Uh, Acts 9, 1 through 31. It's on page 52. All right. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Dam- at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man at Tars- uh, a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he is, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. But when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But the plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you're good, you're in control of everything. And that that's always true, always the case. Thank you that in your word, we get to see your grace in the person of Jesus on display all across its pages. We pray this morning that as we, we look at, at Saul's conversion together, that we would be reminded, Jesus, of who you are and what you've done for us as we see you saving Paul, if we see you redeeming your greatest enemy. I pray that you would send your spirit to, to encourage us, to, to convict us, to challenge us, to, to, to heal and, and bind up wounds within us by your grace in your word this week. We, we thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us relationship with you. You've given us your spirit. You've given us one another. You've given us your word. And we pray that you would help us by faith to grab hold of those things this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I don't know about you, but, uh, but this was a rough week for the Bournes at the Bourne house. We had uh, sick kids. Uh, I was sick one day. Jen is sick right now. Uh, kids were sick all throughout that. It is the Sunday was the, the anniversary of my mom's death. And so it was, uh, it was, it was not, not a fun week at our house. Um, but it was good for me to be studying this passage. Um, and just how great it is that we didn't have to be in a particular passage, right? I, any passage would have done this for me this week in that it, all of it, all of God's word reminds us of God's grace to us in Jesus. Um, but specifically, uh, this passage was, was rich this week. And so last week, Ben took us through uh, Philip in Acts chapter uh, 8, and uh, we saw Philip uh, preaching the gospel in Samaria. We saw him preaching the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then from Azotus all the way down to Caesarea. And then uh, today we pick up with, with this guy named Saul, who we last met in the kind of the Stephen uh, story, where Stephen is, is murdered by a bunch of, you know, a violent mob. And, and Luke told us that this guy named Saul was standing there kind of giving approval to what happened. So Saul enters back into the story today, and we see his conversion. And in this passage, Acts 9, 1 through 31, we see Jesus' grace on display. We see it in, in three ways. We see it on display in his redemption of Saul. We see it on display uh, as he shows his grace to Saul through his people. And then we see it as God, or as Jesus shows his grace to his people in, in how they respond to Saul's conversion. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're gonna to walk through this passage Kind of go through the narrative, and then we're going to come back and talk about those themes and, and where we see them. But before we do that, I want to announce right at the very beginning um, that Saul, right, later in Acts, Acts 13, I think it's 9, he's going to be kind of switch over to Paul. Luke's going to tell us that his name is also Paul, and then kind of for the rest of Acts, he'll be called Paul. And so throughout this sermon, like, I'm going to try a little bit to call him Saul because that's what the passage calls him. But sometimes I'm going to call him Paul because that's what I call him more often. And so, sorry about the spoiler, but that's what's happening in the story. And so, 
whether I say Saul or Paul, I'm talking about the same guy, okay? Uh, Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul would have been his, his Greek name. So God, through Jesus, saves Saul in this passage. Later, he's going to become Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. So the first thing we see in this passage as we start to go through this story that Sean just read for us is that Saul, as we pick back up with him, right? Last we saw him, he's holding those coats. Now he is still breathing threats uh, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he's been continuing to persecute Christians in Jerusalem, but that's not enough for Saul. He needs more than that. And so he goes to the high priest and he seeks letters so that he can go to another city, to Damascus, and take Christians there, kidnap them, bind them, and bring them back to Jerusalem to punish them. So Paul is an overachiever. He wants to go there, get Christians, bring them back. And so uh, he is on his way to Damascus to do that. But Luke tells us, in this, in this the second verse, he tells us that uh, Paul was seeking to persecute if he finds any belonging to the way. This is the first time in Acts that Christians are called the way. And, and they're going to be called that uh, several times as we go through the book of Acts. And this seems to be a reference to the fact that Christians, as they preached the gospel, uh, they made the claim that Jesus was the way of salvation. There is no other way. Jesus is the way of salvation. We're going to see that as we go through Acts. But Paul is on the way to to Damascus, not the way of being a Christian. So he's going to Damascus. He's on the road. And as he's on the road, um, this would have been several days journey, uh, a, a bright light appears to him. Later, Paul is going to describe it as, as exceeding the midday sun. So think about how bright the sun is on the brightest day of the year at noon, like just staring into it. That is the light that shines on Paul. And it's, it's blinded. He, he, he can't see anymore. And so here's a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? me. Saul, can't see, says, who are you? Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Which, side note, right, if you ever have any doubts that Jesus is perfect, notice that here he knows whether to use who or whom. <laughs> but really, what we need to see here is what he says about uh, Saul's persecution. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul might respond, right, I'm not persecuting you, right? He's persecuting people in Jerusalem, and he's on his way to persecute people in Damascus. He's not persecuting Jesus. Jesus was, was killed, but Jesus tells Paul that he was persecuting him. And I think what this passage is telling us is that it's telling us something similar to what we saw in the, the Stephen account, when, Jesus, when, when Stephen sees Jesus standing, right? Jesus stands at Stephen's defense. He stands as his advocate. He stands against the injustice that Stephen is facing. He, he is connected. He's, um, he's linked. He has a relationship. He's, he's intimately connected to Stephen and what is happening in his life. And that is why Stephen sees him standing. We see a similar thing here as Jesus describes Paul's persecution of Christians, right? Jesus doesn't describe it as something that's disconnected from himself, and it's because believers are united with Jesus, right? We're in him. He's in us. He's with us. He's promised to always be with us to the end of the age. And so when Saul is persecuting Christians, Jesus isn't disconnected from that. He's not absent from that. He's not indifferent towards that. He takes that personally. It's affecting him personally because of how closely he is in relationship with his people. How closely he's in relationship with us. And so that should be encouraging to us. 
Because even when we're mistreated, like we saw with Stephen, even when we face injustice, even when people harm us, Jesus is with us in those moments, especially in those moments. And he cares about what happens to us. It matters to him. He does not take it lightly. He's not indifferent toward us. So Paul is persecuting uh, Jesus' people. Jesus tells him to rise and go into the city. So Paul does that. He's actually led into the city by hand. We don't know where on this several days journey Paul was blinded, but he has to be led the rest of the way to the city. And he's there for three days. He can't see. He doesn't, he doesn't eat or drink. He's just in the city. And the next thing that happens is uh, there's this guy named Ananias. There's a different Ananias. This is not like dead lying Ananias. This is new Ananias from Damascus. And Jesus appears to him and says, Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. He responds like Isaiah. And the Lord says, rise and go to the street called Straight. There's a, there's a straight street in Damascus. Like you might say, could they not come up with a better name for this street? But it was a long straight street that ran through the city. And if you were right now to drive to St. Louis and get on a plane and fly to Damascus, you could see this street. It's, there's remnants of it still there. And it's straight. Uh, Paul is on straight street. And Jesus is going to send Ananias to him. He says uh, he's praying. Go visit him. He's seen a vision of a guy. You come to see him and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias responds by saying, Jesus, are you sure about this? Do you know this guy named Saul? Saul has been harming your people in Jerusalem. He came here to harm people in Jerusalem. Jesus, I'm one of your people in Jerusalem. Are you sure you want to send me to this guy named Saul? Jesus responds and says that he does. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And throughout the book of the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to see that. We're going to see Jesus, or we're going to see Jesus use Paul to preach the gospel to Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So that's going to happen. He's going to use him for those things. Ananias goes to where Saul is on Straight Street. He does what Jesus asks him to do. He lays his hands on him. He prays for him. And, and something like scales fall off Paul's eyes. He can see again. Uh, and he uh, repents. He believes the gospel. He's filled with the Spirit. He's baptized. And he can see again. And then he, then he eats. Right? He hasn't eaten for three days. He's been blind for three days. Ananias shows up. He prays for him. Paul receives the spirit. The scales fall off. He can see. He eats again. He, and then Luke tells us that he was with the disciples in Damascus. So he's with the people that he came to persecute. He's with the people that he came to kidnap. He's with the people that he came to kill. And Luke says immediately, immediately, he begins preaching the gospel. In the synagogues, he proclaimed, saying, he is the son of God. So Paul, after being converted, after having a quick bite, he's with the disciples. And the first thing he does, he begins preaching this message that he was opposing, declaring the good news that Jesus is the son of God. He knows this because he's been confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's been redeemed. The spirit's within him. He's, he's transformed. He's different. He's been changed. So he begins preaching the gospel, the message that he's posing, everybody is amazed at this. They're right. Isn't this the guy that was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem who came here to wreak havoc? Uh, he's now doing these things that he was opposed to. But Saul grew in strength. He confounded the Jews in Damascus so much so that after many days passed, they plotted to kill him. 
Luke tells us that the Jews plotted to kill him. We should not make the mistake here of thinking that it's all the Jews in Damascus, right? Sometimes when we read the New Testament, we read what the Jews do in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, we begin to think that they're, they're monolithic, right? They're all the same, right? So when he says the Jews did this thing, like every single one of them, that's, that's not the case, right? They were, they were different. They were different groups um, in the same way that I, it would not be fair for me to be like, well, the women in this room, I'm not going to complete that sentence, <laughs> Right? The Jews, it's some of the Jews. Usually in Acts, when Luke says that, he's referring to the the leaders, kind of the religious establishment, the opposition to the gospel. These are the people that plotted to kill Saul. So Saul is snuck out of the city. He's in a house that's in the wall of the city, and they put him in a basket. I guess they get some rope or some bed sheets or something, and they lower him down through the wall in a basket. So Saul then goes to Jerusalem. He wants to meet with the disciples there, but they're freaked out because not too long ago, Saul was trying to kill them. So they don't want to meet with them. But Barnabas comes along. He takes him. He brings him to the apostles. He tells the apostles about what uh, God had done in redeeming Saul, about how Saul was preaching the gospel, about how he's different. So Saul is taken into the community. He begins preaching the gospel in Jerusalem now. Uh, He's disputing the Hellenists. This is the same group that was opposing Stephen. Um, And they seek to kill Paul too. So he goes down to Caesarea and then to his hometown in Tarsus. And we're going to see more of this later in Acts. Paul is is going to tell the story a couple times and we'll talk more about it then. But Luke closes out this section by telling us that the church... Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the passage begins with with a threatening, with a murderous Saul. This guy who was punishing Christians in Jerusalem was going somewhere else to punish Christians. And it ends with the church thriving with the church being built up, with the church being strengthened because Jesus has worked through his spirit to preserve and protect it. So in this account, there are three main things that we need to see. The first thing we need to see is is the grace of Jesus shown to Paul. And they're all about the grace of Jesus. But the first one is about the grace of Jesus shown to Paul. So it's not difficult for us to see how different Jesus is from us in this passage. I just think for a minute about how you would respond to someone coming to your house, to your city where you lived, to kidnap someone you loved and take them somewhere else. I would assume not well, right? We're going to fiercely oppose that. Jesus could have done a number of things to Saul to prevent him from going to Damascus to do what he did. But what he does is the most gracious thing. He, he redeems him. He, he saves him. He moves him from being an enemy to being a member of his family. When Paul writes about how God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, he can write those words because he lived those words. He experienced Jesus' grace in those ways. When he talks about how how we were enemies of the gospel, we were hostile to God, he knows that because that's who he was. 
when he talks about how Jesus moves us from being in the domain of darkness to being in his kingdom, he can write those words because that's his story too, right? Paul lived the gospel. His conversion shows that, that no one, no matter how far gone they are, no matter how evil they seem, no matter how many Christians they've murdered and killed, no one is beyond the reach of Jesus' grace. And that should be encouraging to us because that means that I'm not beyond his reach and you're not beyond his reach. And that person in your life that you think he can't possibly save them, he can. Paul was the worst of the worst of the worst and Jesus saved him. That means he can save anyone. He shows his grace to Saul. The second thing we need to see is the grace of Jesus shown to Saul through Jesus's people. To me, this is, the, this is the best part of this passage. This is the most kind of astounding and encouraging part because these parts, these two guys exemplify the kind of culture that we want to have at BC. And the two people we need to see this in are Ananias and Barnabas. So the first is Ananias. At first, right, when Jesus says, hey, go talk to Saul, he's, he's reluctant, which, which is understandable. But then when Jesus explains what he's going to do, when he, when he tells him about his plan for Saul, and Ananias goes. He goes to where Saul is. Think about being in his position, right? Saul came to his city to hurt people that he loved, his friends, his family, his church, himself. And Ananias goes and he lays his hand on Saul and he comforts him. He cares for him. He prays for him. He addresses him as brother Saul. He takes this guy that was going to kill his family and invites him into his family. Ananias is accepting Saul as Christ has accepted him. He's welcoming Saul as Christ has welcomed him. He's bringing him into the family. See a similar thing with Barnabas. This old son of encouragement that we met earlier in Acts. Once Saul gets to Jerusalem, the disciples there hadn't, hadn't seen what happened in Damascus. They had maybe heard about it, but they were all nervous. They were, they were fearful. They were worried about this guy who was killing Christians coming into the church. And so Barnabas takes Saul to meet with the apostles. And this is a big risk for Barnabas. Right? The apostles are the guys that are on the top of Saul's hit list. They're the people that he wants to take out the most. And Barnabas is like, let's go meet him. This could have backfired for him. This was a risk for Barnabas to take these steps, to do this action. But he, through his faithfulness, through his kindness, through his hospitality, he moves uh, Paul from being an outsider in the church to being an insider in the church in Jerusalem. He brings him into the family. Like Ananias, he welcomes Saul as Christ has welcomed him. Jesus used Ananias. He used Barnabas to show grace to Saul and to show grace to us. A third way we see Jesus' grace in this passage is when he shows it to his people uh, in their reluctance to accept Paul. 
So we saw this with Ananias, right? He's, he's initially reluctant to take Jesus' message to Saul. But notice how Jesus responds to him. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't berate him. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the king of everything. Do what I say. He doesn't say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and talk to Paul. He explains himself. He gives him more grace. He talks to him about what he's going to do. He, he, he reveals some of the plan for Paul to Ananias. Jesus didn't have to do that. But he shows Ananias grace. He invites him into his mission. And the disciples in Jerusalem, right, they're initially reluctant to accept Paul. They're, they're afraid because of what they've seen him do in their city. And yet Jesus sends them Barnabas to, to help them along, to move them, to, to make them more like the people they're supposed to be and less like who they are on their own. He does away with their fear. I think it's important for us to see his grace to, to, to these groups for, for two reasons. The first reason is that I think too often we treat uh, kind of people in the rest of the New Testament like they always have it all together, right? In the Gospels, we know that the disciples are kind of like all over the place, right? They, they consistently fail and we're like, ha ha, you fail until we realize that we do the same things. But then when we get to Acts and the spirit falls, it kind of looks like they just turn into these super Christians overnight who like always get things right for the rest of the time. And that's because Acts is giving us the highlights of their story. But sometimes, like in this place, we get to see some of the lowlights. We get to see where they mess up. We get to see where they fall short. Um, and that's, that's good for us because it reminds us that they are broken and in constant need of grace just like we are. The second reason why we need to see this is because we need to see the grace that Jesus shows them. Right? He shows us the same kind of grace. Just like he sends them a Barnabas, he sends us one another. Just like he explains more of what he's doing instead of berating for us, us for questions, he's given us his spirit to, to lead us and to guide us and to help us follow him better. He gives them grace in their failures and he gives us grace in our failures too. We don't have to have it all together. He still gives us grace when we don't. So in this passage, we see Jesus' grace put on display through Saul's conversion. We see it as he, as he appears to Paul and redeems him on the road to Damascus. And then his, his great plan to move him from being one of the greatest enemies of the Gospels to probably its greatest champion. We see his grace on display as he uh, uses his people to show more of his grace to Saul. As, as Ananias and Barnabas welcome Saul into Jesus' family. We see his grace on display as he gives it to those who are reluctant at first to, to recognize and receive and celebrate what he's doing. So the good news of this passage is that we worship, we serve, we follow, we, we love, we live in relationship with a Savior who is kind and gracious, 
who redeems people like Saul, who redeems people like us, who uses us to show his grace to other people and gives us grace when we don't. This is the Savior that we get to worship. This is the God we get to celebrate. And so let's do that more together this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are abounding in grace and steadfast love. We thank you that it, it, it never runs out. That there is, there is no one that is beyond the reach of your saving grace. And that there's nothing in us that's beyond its reach. But that you are mighty to save. That your grace is, is never ending and always flowing. Thank you that we have examples in your word like Saul. You move from being an enemy of the gospel to a preacher of it, to a writer of it who has written so much of the New Testament for us. We thank you that we get examples of guys like Ananias and Barnabas who welcome others if you as welcome them. Who invite people in, even at great risk to themselves. We thank you that we get to see that you give grace to those who fail. So that we know that when we fail, we don't have to run, we don't have to hide. But that we can run to you to receive more grace. And so we pray that you would use the rest of our time this morning to, to show and reveal and remind us more of the grace you've shown us in Jesus. That you would help us to to receive your grace, to, to show it to others as we fellowship together after the service, as we go about our weeks this week, that we would model the great grace you've shown us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that it's because of who you are and what you've done that we can be beneficiaries of your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.